Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day and this time that we have to gather. I thank you for modern technology that is allowing us to worship inside of our own homes all across the area, all across the country, all across the globe. I thank you for the blessing of the technology in this season. I pray now that you would use my words, make them yours, Father, that you would reveal yourself and make yourself real to us today. In your name we pray, amen. Hello and welcome to New Life. My name is Mark. I'm the discipleship pastor here at the church, and we're so excited to have you here with us, especially if you're here for the very first time. Maybe you saw a friend share something on Facebook, or someone's been telling you you need to check out newlife.online, and you decided to tune in today and hang out with us, and we really appreciate that, especially if you're here for the very first time. You heard me say earlier to go ahead and get connected with us, but I want to encourage you again, if you are here for the very first time, you can download that New Life app and get connected with us. We would love to, and we're here with you in chat right now. We have people here to hang out with you. There's other members of our church family. Make a comment in chat because we really do want to know that you're here because you're appreciated and you're valued and we're glad that you're here. This week, we're on part two of a seven-week series on prayer. Last week, Pastor Alex, our family life pastor, kicked us off in this series looking at the Lord's Prayer. When we sat down to organize our message planning schedule for the winter into the spring leading up to Easter, we realized that all of us, Pastor Barry, Pastor Chris, Pastor Alex, and I, had all been listening to a podcast called A Heart of a Friend by a guy named Andy Wygant. Now, we've talked about him before. Andy Wygant was a mentor of Pastor Chris's back when he was a teenager living in Gypsy, Pennsylvania, and has continued to have influence in his life. And now he's having influence in a lot more of our lives. His podcast, which we have encouraged you to go to to look for direction and words of wisdom, has been phenomenal. In one of his most recent series, he was talking about prayer. In fact, over seven episodes, he's talking about the Lord's Prayer and how we should pray. And it's had a buff of an impact on each of our lives that we thought we would continue that conversation from his podcast that we were listening to and bring it here to new life. So he's talking about the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you have no idea what that is, and that's perfectly okay. The Lord's Prayer was a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to say whenever his disciples came to him 2,000 years ago, and they said, teach us how to pray. And the book of Matthew tells us what Jesus said to them. So he actually said to us, this is how you should pray. And because he instructed his 12 closest friends on how they should pray, we figure it's good instruction for us today on how we should pray as well. Let me read it to you and so that you can just be aware of what it is in case maybe you've never heard the Lord's Prayer before. It says this in Matthew 6, starting in verse 9, going to verse 13. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation but rescue us from the evil one. Now, if you've been around New Life for any length of time, just this past January, we went into a 21-day prayer and fasting emphasis. So why start a seven-week prayer series the week or so after we end 21 days focused on prayer. It seems a little silly. Well, it's because we wanted to continue the conversation about prayer. Because here's something that we know. We know that prayer should not be seasonal. And we also know that inveterate prayer should be transformative. Now, if you don't know what that word means, don't worry. Neither do I. And I almost certainly have also pronounced it wrong. But when I looked it up, this word inveterate meant 
really everything that prayer should be in our lives. In fact, the, uh, the exact definition is this. It means having a particular habit, activity, or interest that is long established and unlikely to change. It means having a particular habit, activity, or interest that is long established and unlikely to change. Now, at the beginning of each year here at New Life, we do some sort of a prayer emphasis to sort of focus our spirits for the year ahead. And now I, like many of you, have taken that a lot less seriously than Pastor Chris has done in the past couple of years. Yet, in 2021, more of you decided to fast and to pray daily than potentially ever before in the history of New Life. And I think that's largely because most of us have realized after 2020 hit us like a ton of bricks and left us unsure of what was next. Not really sure how to handle the situations that were in front of us. I think for many of us, coming into 2021, we've realized something, and that is, without the help of God, we have absolutely no idea what's coming. And without the help of God, we certainly cannot handle what God is going to put before us. And so many of us have engaged deeply with prayer, but we know that prayer isn't a 21-day emphasis. It really only has true, lasting, transformative impact on our lives when it becomes ingrained in the very fabric of who we are. Which is why after having a 21-day prayer and fasting emphasis, we're doing seven weeks talking about the importance of prayer and how to pray so that your prayer life can continue to grow and flourish in the months and the years that are ahead, not just for a couple of weeks at the beginning of each year. Last week, Pastor Alex, our family life pastor here at New Life, started our series by focusing on our Father. That's right, two words, just two. The first two words of the Lord's Prayer, our Father. Today, I'm going to stay with that trend, and we are going to focus on the next two words of the Lord's Prayer, in heaven, in heaven. But before we jump into some of the profound implications that these two simple words have on our lives as followers of Jesus, or if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, when you become a follower of Jesus, the impact that it has on our lives, before we do that, let's take a look at today's take-home point. The take-home point today is the one point that I'm going to seek to make so that we can take it home and live it out in the week ahead. This week's take-home point is this, our Father, our Father, which goes back to Pastor Alex's message last week, is in his throne room. So if you haven't listened to last week's message, I encourage you to go back on our New Life app or at newlifexn.org and watch Pastor Alex's message because he gives a great summary of what it means for God to be our Father. Now, I had a great father growing up. Many of you know my parents. They attend here at New Life. They've been serving here at New Life for many years. My father is on our security team here at New Life. My mother has been serving with our youth ministry and also as a Stephen minister for a season. I was one of the lucky people that grew up with a loving and a present father. Last week when Pastor Alex preached, he preached about many of the profound implications that there are when we, when we think about relating to God as a loving father. But we realize that many of you have a lot of hurdles to get over before you could imagine God as a loving father because your father was anything but loving. Fortunately for me, I had a loving father that allowed me to go to him with really anything. I knew there was consistently and always an open door for me 
to go to my dad, which has really helped me in understanding the love and comprehending the love that a heavenly father has. Now, while my dad was far from perfect, I knew that I could go with him to anything, and I knew he was proud of me, and my experience has allowed me to approach God with a similar confidence, and I can approach God really in many ways uninhibited because of the great father that I grew up with. However, my father, although approachable, was also a disciplinarian, and like many of you, the most terrifying words that my mother could ever say to me were, you are going to have to tell your father what you did when he got home. My father was a roofer and an HVAC his entire life and still is in some capacities today. He was a tough man. So when I heard that I had to tell my father what I had done when he got home, it was a terrifying idea. Because I knew that on top of our refrigerator was a paddle. That wooden paddle, which had been cut out by my father himself, was used more to correct and direct my brother than it was me. And that was mostly because I was terrified of it. There was only a few times throughout my childhood that that paddle had to be applied to my posterior in order to redirect my behavior. And I knew that I was terrified because I knew that the paddle could have holes drilled into it. And I had heard horror stories of the whistling aerodynamics of that type of an enforcement tool as it cascaded towards your backside. I wanted to avoid that with every ounce of me growing up, and including in that I never wanted to have my mouth washed out with soap, which was something that my father got to experience as he was a child, and probably, if you're a boomer, most of you got to experience as well. While my father rarely picked up that paddle for correction, in fact, I can only maybe remember one or two times, there was something equally as terrifying in our household when it came to discipline. From time to time, I would hear my father yell my name from my parents' bedroom. The call was not a summons that one could ignore. When you heard my father call you from the bedroom, you quit doing what you were doing, and you reported in with much haste. It was there that my father would tell me of how disappointed he was in my actions, inform me of my impending punishment, and dispense fatherly wisdom. There was nothing to be afraid of in my father's bedroom. Nothing. I was never abused, never struck. But I was still scared. Stepping into my father's bedroom was like stepping into a different world. It was his domain. And many of you know what I'm, thinking, what I'm saying, and, and you've experienced something Similar, although I was never in any danger, my father's power so totally and completely eclipsed mine as a child that when I stepped into his bedroom, it was almost as though I would tremble or shudder. Even though there was nothing to be afraid of, it was terrifying being in the presence of a person who held your fate in their hand. The Lord's Prayer starts out with, Two profound, theologically packed statements. The first is this. Our Father. Which brings with it all of the safety, the security, and the love of a familiar relationship with the Creator. Our Father. Which brings about all of the security, safety, and love of a familiar relationship with our Father. And then, in heaven. 
which conjures up the fear, adoration, and humility of being with the being that created everything. It conjures up all of the fear, adoration, and humility of being with the being that created everything. These two statements are similar and intimately related, but also very different. For what could be more different than the embrace of a loving father? And what could be further from us than the glories of heaven itself? While many passages throughout Scripture tells us that God loves us as his children, there are equally as many passages that speak about the fear, or more passages that speak about the fear of the Lord and the importance of the fear of the Lord in the life of the followers of his son, Jesus. And these passages are truly terrifying. God displays his love for us and welcomes us into his presence, but when we enter it, we may find it difficult to open our mouths and speak once we're there. And if you don't believe me, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 1 together. Just a few verses for it, but some of my favorite verses in all of the Bible are found in Revelations, and these verses are among them. But to give you a little bit of backstory, first off, Revelation is written by a man named John. John was one of Jesus' closest disciples, described as the disciple whom Jesus Loved Amongst the 12, many scholars tell us that there were three that were cared for and closer to Jesus than the other nine, Peter, James, and John. And amongst the three, there was one, John. It was John that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he entrusted the care of his mother Mary to his disciple John. It was John who was close to Jesus. It was John who discipled much of the next generation of the church. And it was John who wrote the book of Revelation when he was exiled at the end of his life to an island. And there he received visions from God of his Savior, Jesus, in the throne room. And he wrote these visions down in the best way that he could. And they're recorded, of course, in the book of Revelation, starting in 1, chapter 1, going from verse 12 to 18. But before we read it, I want to ask you to do something. And it's strange to ask you, because if you were in person right now, I would ask you to close your eyes. And I could actually look around the room here and here and here and here. And I could see people closing their eyes. You're in your home right now. You might be sitting in your pajamas or less. You're probably on your couch. Maybe you're looking at your phone. You might be listening in while you're cooking breakfast for your kids. We're glad that you're here no matter what. But I want to ask you to take a break in whatever you're doing. And as I read these words, I want to ask you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine them. I want you to put yourself in John's shoes. I want you to receive the vision that John received. I want you to feel it, to see it, to hear it. There's nothing between you and these words. So if you would, take a moment, close your eyes. I'm going to read it slowly and I want you to imagine each piece of it before you. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw before me seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone who looked like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. Imagine him. Imagine the man standing there. Imagine the long robe. See the gold sash. See the seven lampstands before him. 
His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. See his hair. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. Imagine the ocean waves. Imagine the eyes of fire peering down at you. Imagine his voice thundering over you, the impact of the waves on your chest, on your back. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. See the stars, see the sword. And his face was like the sun in all of his brilliance. Glance up and look at his face and then look away. You can't see it for we can't look into the sun. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Feel his hand on you. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. You can open your eyes. John knew Jesus. He spent three of years of his life following him everywhere that he went. He devoted his entire life to the cause and to the mission of Jesus. But in the throne room, in the presence of Jesus, John fell to his feet, at Jesus' feet, as though he was dead. If there was anyone who could enter the presence of Jesus and know the love of the Savior and have a rejoicing moment of reunion, it was John. If there's anybody who could see his friend and run to him and throw his arms around him, it was John. If there's anybody who would know his Savior and knew he had nothing to fear in his friend, it was John. But in the presence of the glorified Jesus Christ, John fell to the ground as though he was dead. When we pray, our Father in heaven, we step into that same throne room. We approach the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We approach the Alpha and the Omega. We approach the beginning and the end. We come to the one with the face like the sun, a voice like thundering waters, who holds stars in his hands and who, whose eyes are on fire. We have a hard time reconciling this Jesus to the Jesus that we know as our Savior. Jesus on the throne is a terrifying being. We love the Jesus who died on the cross, but we're unsure about what to do with the Jesus who sits on the throne. We don't know what to do when it says that we should fear the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 tells us that to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And often when we say fear the Lord, we quickly say, well, it doesn't really mean be afraid. It means more of mustering up some reverence or some respect. But when I read this story and I see this man named John who should have flung his arms around his best friend, but yet fell dead at his feet, I don't see a man who is mustering up respect or trying to come up with a little bit of reverence. I see a man who is terrified for 
his life. When I put myself in his shoes, when I imagine myself before Jesus on his throne, I cannot speak. The reality is we're uncomfortable with this Jesus. We love God as Father. But God in his throne room? We can't accept the good shepherd without accepting the king of kings. We cannot accept the loving father without accepting the fact that he is in heaven. We can't accept Jesus on the cross without accepting Jesus on the throne. Let me say that again. We cannot accept Jesus on the cross without accepting Jesus on the throne. We can't understand God as Father if we don't also seek to understand him in his throne room. Every person who's in Scripture who steps into the presence of God, who sees his face, who sees even the back of him, who sees his hand, who hears his voice, trembles because they are afraid that they will die. They don't make a decision about fearing him. The reality is they do. And one day, all of creation will be before this being, the creator of all things, the maker of heaven and earth. And there won't be a decision about whether we fear him or we don't. We simply will. He's separate, holy, unreachable, and glorious. He's our Father who is in heaven. When I was a child, I grew up with a loving father. I never had to fear my dad. Still, when I was summoned into his presence, where I would enter his bedroom, when I would step foot into his throne room, my power was so entirely and fully eclipsed, I couldn't help but tremble. Hebrews 10.31 says this, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing Man, this verse is so powerful, and the church, largely, we don't like it. It's one of those verses we wish we could get rid of. What does it mean? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Man, we've always pictured ourselves in the loving hands of the Father. We have pictures of the loving hands of the Father cradling us, taking care of us, loving us, wiping every tear from our eye. And there's truth in that because he's our Father, but it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You have a heavenly father that loves you. He died for you. He welcomes you into his presence. He welcomes you into the throne room through the presence and through the sacrifice of his son, but it matters how you approach. It matters how you approach. And in that place, like John, Jesus put his hand on John's shoulder and God in a similar way places his hand on us and whispers to us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's only in this place that we're given genuine freedom from fear. If you're crippled with anxiety, if you're incapable of functioning because of your fear, let me be really clear with you. There is nothing that solves fear of the world like fear of God. Because when you step into his presence and you experience the fear of the Lord, and he lays his hand upon you and says, stand up, don't be afraid. When you come out of that place, there is nothing on earth to be afraid of any longer because you've experienced true, true fear. It's the most freeing feeling. When I was in college, I had come, I had come to Jesus moment. I, I had walked away from the Lord for a couple of years through you know, debauchery and, and whatever have you. And 
I had not lived as I should. That's the point. I had intentionally moved away from God. I had turned my back on him. Unsure if he existed, I had left. And then there was a moment that everything changed. And in that moment, I was reading this passage from Psalm chapter 1. And I don't expect it to have the same impact on you, but I can tell you it changed my life. I read these words. Blessed is the one who who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that blows in the wind. At the end of verse 4, I couldn't read any longer because I was on the ground in the presence of the Father. I had experienced in my life nothing, to this, to this time before or after, nothing more comforting or terrifying. It was better than any embrace or reunion that I've ever had, and it was scarier than any nightmare. My being, my presence was so entirely gone inside of his. I was nothing, and yet this being that had so totally encompassed me loved me. I can't tell you exactly what happened that night, but I know when I got up off the floor of my basement bedroom, I was never the same. So when I preach about the fear of the Lord, I do so with as much conviction as I can muster because I have caught but a glimpse of what it is like to fall into the hands of the living God. And I can tell you I've never experienced anything more terrifying or freeing before in my life. We hear about the fear of the Lord and we think it's a bad thing. But when you realize that true fear of the Lord is freedom from fear of the world, it transforms our lives. It changes who we are. I know that for some of us, this is a bit high and a little bit lofty. I know that this isn't a really popular sermon, and I know it's especially unpopular amongst Christian circles, which is crazy. It does seem like many non-believers understand the premise of the fear of the Lord for they know how they stand before him. But many of us as Christians really just love sort of like bubbly lamb on my shoulders, flowing locks of beautiful hair and a gorgeous beard, Jesus. But that isn't really how Jesus describes himself, and it's certainly not how he presents himself in his glorified state. Here's the reality. The fear of the Lord cannot be overlooked, especially when we pray. Woven throughout all of Scripture is the importance of the fear of the Lord. Woven throughout all of scripture is the importance of how we pray, when we speak to him, how we approach him matters. Our father who is in heaven. Like a loving father calls us into his bedroom, we have nothing to fear, but we will tremble. We will be afraid. And we may even find it hard to speak. This week, I'm asking you to consider stepping in to that type of prayer with this week's next step. The next step is the thing that I hope we will do next. If you're convicted or drawn by this message, hopefully you want to do something about it, not just listen to it. Pastor Chris always says that information minus application is information, but when we take information and we add application, we apply it to our lives, it transforms us. And I believe that if we apply this to our lives, it can truly transform us. Our next step this week is this. 
I will picture myself in my Father's throne room when I pray this week. And listen, to be honest with you, that may mean that you basically don't pray this week. It may mean that you come to this passage of Revelation each time you pray and you read it, and then you're just there in his presence, seeking him. There are very few words that are worth uttering in the presence of a being like we see in Revelation chapter 1. And so today we get a chance to practice. I'm going to pray, and as I close in prayer, I'm going to go back and read Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you to your throne room. As we step into your throne room, Father, we want to come to you worthy. And we are reminded now of what John saw when he wrote, when I turned to see the one who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. Standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, who was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Let's take a moment and sit in his presence. Father, we don't always approach you well. We treat you like a slot machine. We treat you like a genie. We come to you with wishes and rarely with fear and trembling. We know that you love us. Please make yourself real to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Listen, you may be here in the live stream today and this is all well and good, but you don't follow Jesus. You haven't surrendered your life to him. You haven't even considered if there is a God. You're not certain about this person and that's okay. It really is. Perhaps you're just at home and, and someone in your house is watching this and you've tuned in or, or maybe you've been watching for a long time, but you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. I'm telling you that today is the day. The Bible actually tells us it, it, it's really powerful. It says that we can be his children, but if we're not his children, if we're not adopted into God's family, then he describes us not as his friends, but as his enemies. But the good news is that God is always adopting, and he wants to adopt you into his family. He wants to graft you in. He wants to bring you into his eternal family with many brothers and sisters. The question is not whether or not he will adopt you. The question is whether or not you're willing to be adopted. And if today you're willing and ready to join the family, then I can tell you that simple but not easy. At New Life, we say joining the family is as easy as A, B, C. A, admit. Admit that you're a sinner. 
that you've messed up. I bet you in 2020 that you didn't do everything the way you hoped you did, that you would like a do-over on some things. B is believe. Believe in your heart that Jesus not only died for your sins, but rose again on your behalf and sits at the throne at the right hand of God the Father and that he's for you. And then C, confess. Not only confess your sins and get them off your chest, hand them over to him who has died for them. Not just confess, but also to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. The scriptures teach us if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that he died for us and rose again, that we will be saved. A, B, C. Admit, believe, confess. And if that's you today, wherever you are, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be in this room with me. God is as real where you are in your home or in your coffee shop or in your car or wherever you are as he is right here with me right now. And you can ask him to come into your life. And I'm going to pray for you to ask him into your life. And you can just say a simple prayer wherever you are and say, God, come in. And at the end of service, when I'm done praying, there will be a little button you can click that says, raise your hand. We're going to throw it in chat. We want you to raise your hand because we actually want to connect with you and let you know that we're praying for you and give you some resources to start on this new adventure because it's not the end of something. It's the beginning of something new. Jesus called it being born again. Let's pray. Father God, as we enter your throne room again, I pray for those who've never entered your presence, who are listening in, who are watching, wherever they are, with whatever they're doing, who are simply right now admitting, believing, and confessing. They're putting their faith in you. They're joining a new family. They're leaving behind the old and they're starting something new. They're being born again. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be upon them. And as they confess right now that you are Savior and Lord, as they say out loud, Jesus, you are my Savior, meaning my Savior from sin and death, and Lord, meaning my owner, as they confess with their mouths that you welcome them into a new eternal kingdom. They pass from death to life, from sin to salvation. I pray right now for them, Father, that they would truly embrace you with every bit of they are. They would set aside their mission and adopt yours, that they would pick up the cross, that they would walk with you, and this would be the start of something all new. pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I want you to know that even if you haven't been able to join us physically back here at church, we miss you, we love you, we're praying for you. I want you to know you're just as valuable as a member of this family, whether you're here in person or you're watching with us online. God loves you and we love you. If you're struggling, please reach out to us. We genuinely want to help. We're blessed by your presence and we're encouraged by you. Thank you for choosing to be part of our family here at New Life. Amen.